Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're back for another week. We've just had round five, which means we are officially halfway there. We are halfway through the season, which is a bananas thing to think about. We won't complain about how short the season is because you know. If you know, you know. But we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about all of the sensational footy the crazy scorelines. There's literally so much to talk about, so we will get stuck into it. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lodanik, and AFLW expert Sarah Burt. So let's crack into round five. Sarah's piece up on ESPN.com.au had the headline, Blowouts, Knockouts and Lockouts. And that is basically the theme of this week's episode because every important talking point can basically be funneled into one of those categories. But before we kind of delve deeply into those things, we'll do a quick run through of the round's results. So we started things off out west. Frio once again won the derby, but it was one of the closest ones ever. They beat West Coast by three. Geelong were huge winners over the Saints. They beat them by 50. Uh, North beat the Dogs by 15. Collingwood got the Chockeys over Essendon. They won by 11. Hawthorne got their first win of the season. They beat the Swans by four. The Ds beat the Blues by 42 points. Richmond uh, ended the Lions' undefeated run and won by four points. The Suns beat Port Adelaide by 14. And the Crows beat the Giants by a now record 96 points, which was absolutely insane but like I said there was blowouts there was knockouts and there were lockouts so we're gonna start with the lockouts so we had the big festival of footy down here in Victoria we had the big public holiday on Friday and because people wanted footy there were lockouts so do you want to catch people up for maybe if they don't know what was happening on Friday and what we're even talking about and I'm really interested on your thoughts about these lockouts and why they happened and I suppose venue selection is what I'm getting at here what were your thoughts on how we got these lockouts over on Friday yes hello it's great to be back um oh it was I think it's a really exciting thing for the league obviously um it shows the demand for for the sport and and for spectators and although we don't see it every week at all, really, um, or really ever, ever since probably the first ever lockout. It's really exciting to see that um, when it's accessible, when it's in um, a place where there's a buzz happening and obviously footy was the main uh, draw card in Victoria last weekend, I think it's really exciting that, that it happened um and yeah so um to catch you up essentially uh north melbourne and the doggies and hawks versus sydney um they were a double header at punt road during the footy festival um preceding the the men's afl grand final and it obviously shows that people are just excited about being around that precinct they want to watch footy like no matter what time it is no matter which game it is they're excited to be there and in some respects it's tricky because you want people to be really invested in the game and really excited about 
the women's game. But at the same time, it's like we've talked about in a lot of different weeks here that people, you do need to, while it's still a really young league, you do need to really embrace those sort of incidental fans. And I feel like that's what we saw this weekend. So it's really exciting that that people were just excited to be around that general vibe. And it does show that people are really excited about that community level of footy. Um, obviously not saying AFLW is a community level of footy at all, but they're excited about being at somewhere like Punt Road. Um, they're, they're just getting around it in general. So personally, I think it's a really exciting thing. Obviously disappointing for the fans that that couldn't get in. Um, but I think that it's a really it's a positive um, step for the league, I think. And also it might put pressure on, I mean, who knows what will happen next year around the men's final series, but it might put pressure on there being a game before the men's grand final or or something like that. And it's it's really, I think it's a really positive thing for the league. So um yeah, I think it was it was after the the men's grand final parade, people sort of filtered filtered through and and were wanting to get in and watch the women's games. Um, but I think yeah, it's it's really exciting. It also, people were really excited about it um, before the actual men's game, but it wasn't just after the men's parade. So. Um, I think it's really exciting and even just that visual um, that we had in the first ever AFLW game of people lining those community stadiums really keen to get in, I think that's a really exciting thing and obviously it's really disappointing for those people that didn't get in but I think um, that we need to we need to accept that it's a positive step for the league and, um, and I, yeah, I think it's a really good thing. I do agree with you that I think it's a positive step. My overwhelming feeling is that it was right idea, wrong execution, because I think utilising the public holiday, brain genius. Obviously, people are at home. They want something to do. Something to do. Why not give them a bunch of footy? Like, in my mind, that's perfect idea. I think it should be a thing every season. As long as Victoria has this public holiday, I think it should absolutely be a thing. Let us all go watch some footy before the men's grand final. I think it's a great idea. My thing is, though, that even though I love the lockout because obviously it suggests demand, I'm like, of course there were going to be lockouts when it's the public holiday, people want to watch footy, and you've put these games at the first and equal second smallest grounds in the entire league. And that's that's my issue with it. I, I went to the Dogs North game and trying to move around Pump Road, it was a tin of sardines. It was not very pleasant and obviously you had some people sitting some people standing so you couldn't really watch the game depending on where you were and I know there's obviously safety concerns with the grandstand at punt road and don't want things to be unsafe but it just it felt too small for the occasion and then don't even get me started on Collingwood's training ground being used as a venue as well because my my thought process was how can it be a lockout for a venue that technically isn't like locked in it's not contained there's just a fence around the oval and no other sort of barriers for people to get into the precinct because it's literally the logistics don't make sense (laughs) it genuinely didn't so like I said I you know I feel like sometimes I'm the the negative Nancy on this pod so I want to say I did like the idea and I thought it was great I just think picking punt road and the AIA center even though their central location was obviously a big plus 
two tiny grounds, you are always going to get lockouts because there's just straight up no room at those grounds. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If those games were scheduled at some of the bigger stadiums, mm. say we've got a game at Marvel, yeah, how does that work when we don't get the numbers that are hoped for? Do you think people would have travelled to a venue that was slightly further away and that we would have still got those numbers? I'd like to think yes. This also then comes back to marketing. So if we're, you know, the footy festival, obviously there's the parade, there's, excuse me, so many things going on. If we market it as there's going to be so much footy for you to watch before the grand final and people plan their days, I think they would make the effort to go to a Marvel Stadium, for example. Um, I think maybe maybe an Icon Park might be pushing it for some people, but it's still kind of central-ish and at least big enough that you're getting a fair chunk of people in. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think there's so much merit to the idea and there are people employed at the AFL who are smarter than me who will work out the kinks and the details. But um, I do think the other thing, and lots of people pointed this out on Twitter, they're like, Marvel is an AFL-owned venue and it's just sitting there when maybe it could be hosting games. And I do think there is value to that argument. People are going to start yelling at me about the economy and the financials and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I don't care. It's an AFL-owned venue and it probably could have hosted at least one game this weekend. I don't know. That's just me. But overall, I think Festival of Footy, good minor details need fixing i agree and i think if there's two if we still go with the double header situation like we saw um across this weekend possibly i don't know how that works financially for the afl but um if they're going to go with that well does it cost less and i'd actually be interested to hear from from the people that know this, but does it cost more to set up to have two in a row and and possibly get those incidental fans in um, who might be coming into the city anyway for the footy festival to to have it there, you know, and to, to show their support and just have that opportunity to build up that momentum around the area because Docklands isn't, it's not that far from the MCG. So can you sort of build up or can you work to um, build the footy festival sort of further along the Yarra and almost direct it um, to become part of that general vicinity? So, yeah, it's an interesting point. Like I said, I think there's people, I think the idea will be persisted with and I think that's a good thing. So I am very keen to see how it kind of evolves and eventuates come next season and what it looks like because, like I said, I think it's a good idea and I definitely think it is worth continuing with. But the lockout crowds obviously weren't the only big thing this round. The biggest thing of all was that Crows win over the Giants. It was 96 points. It's now the biggest ever margin in an AFLW game. The Giants now hold the record equally for lowest ever score in a game with Fremantle from memory. They only scored a point. So it's not obviously great for the Crows, really kind of um, reboosted their premiership credentials and 
got them back in the flag conversation. But whenever something like this happens, it turns into almost a completely different conversation about what do blowouts mean for the state of the game? So what do blowouts mean for the state of the women's game and for the AFLW? It's an interesting question because neither of these teams are expansion sides this year. So if we were talking about an Essendon or a Hawks or an expansion side, I think it would be a different story. But that's not what we're looking at here. And so I think that when we look at this example, that it's not great for the league. But I also think that we're probably, if we are going to go down that deep rabbit hole that is comparing the men's and the women's game, which we absolutely never even need to do because they're completely different games. But there are huge, huge margins in the men's game as well. Exhibit A, the grand final on Saturday. So I don't think that it's actually reflective of the league at all because, um, unfortunately, it's the game, it's a sport, and it's going to happen all the time. Certainly we see it more in the women's game, um, particularly with expansion sides, but that's we know that that's going to be stamped out more and more progressively. And so um, I don't think that it's anything to be overly stressed about in terms of the expansion of the league or where the game is going um, because I, it happens in the men's game that's been going for 30 times longer than the women's game. So, um, I mean, it's it's obviously disappointing and it doesn't make for a great spectator sport, which as we were just talking about before, that's what we need in terms of financials and, and support for the game. But I don't think that it's a huge issue for the league in general because I think we see it across the men's league and I think we see it across other sports as well. I think that's the most frustrating thing, particularly for women's fans. It's like it's not like AFLW is the only sport where sometimes teams absolutely thump the other. Like you just said, it's not just the AFL grand final. It's soccer. It's basketball. It's tennis. You know, people lose in straight sets. Like it's a thing that happens in sport. Um, And my thing has always been, especially with women's sport, that and forgive my language here, it's like the women just aren't allowed to be shit. Sometimes women are shit. You don't think the Giants are sitting there thinking to themselves, God, we, we were, are not. <laughs> we were awful. We were like women should be allowed to be shit just like the men are. So it's not the most eloquent, eloquent argument, but I think it's a fair one. The women should be allowed to be bad without the entire like construct of women's sport as a whole you know, being questioned, like the whole validity of the AFLW being questioned over a result like this. So at the same time, I think it also opens up the opportunity for the AFLW to be criticised in a constructive way in that if we want the women's game to go the same way that the men's game is, then we need to accept that there's going to be equal levels of criticism and equal levels of analysis. And hopefully that that's what we're seeing because, you know, we don't want to come down really hard on people that are saying, oh, well, this is a huge margin and maybe it's bad for the league. Because at the same time, if we want the women's game to grow as much as the men's game has, 
then we need to accept that there's going to be that same level of analysis. So it, it's an interesting point, isn't it? It really is. Um, I suppose the other thing, here's my segue for this chat, it's not like this was the, like, obviously this was a huge thing. It's a piece of history. It's in the record books. But three other games this round were decided by less than a goal. Almost or over half of them were decided by less than three kick, like three straight kicks. It's not like it's a constant thing, and I think it speaks to what you were saying about how these will be become progressively rarer. It won't be as much of an issue. They'll be a, a blight, a, a weird little blip, like the men's grand final literally was. But let's talk about some of those closer results, and I think the the pick of the bunch here. Well, actually, no, they're all very, very good. So which one would you like to talk about first? We've got the Western Derby, the Tigers' big win over Brisbane or Hawthorne's first victory. So choose your own adventure. Which one would you like to talk about first? Let's go for the Hawks. Yes, done. Let's. It was so exciting that the scenes on the siren were absolutely phenomenal. I can't remember which player it was on the sideline lifting Beck Goddard up and just carrying her around in excitement. We absolutely love to see it, but how huge is this for the Hawks? And I suppose the flip side, how bad is this for the Swans? Because I did say that whoever lost this game, I'm worried about them maybe not picking up a win at all this season. So how do you see this on both sides of the coin? I think it's huge for the Hawks, and I think it's really representative of their strength as a club. Obviously, without getting into it too much, it's been a pretty full-on week for Hawthorne Football Club in general Um, and the fact that they ran out there wearing their Indigenous Guernsey um, to represent their support that they have for those Indigenous players that have have suffered, um, allegedly suffered some pretty um, tough stuff. Um, I think it was a really important game to them in general and I think we saw a lot of that emotion um play out once they won and I think we also saw it sort of during like the first second quarters we saw Bet Goddard giving them an absolute spray and they obviously really respect her because there are some teams that would really be put off by that kind of um uh coaching but I think like particularly women's teams because they're probably not as used to that really like frontal management as some of the men's teams are because we just don't see it. Also, they just haven't been playing as long and they're just not as used to it. But um, absolutely, like the tough got going and they just went for it. Um, after they had a spray, they just went for it and they they got those four goals back. And I think that that's absolutely representative of a team that can go far because Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, they're an expansion side, but um, they decided that when they were, they needed a win, that they had to get it. And um, I think it's really important for them. And I think also just mentally, it's going to be a really positive thing for them in general. So um, I, uh, on the flip side, I think Sydney, that's going to be a real blow for them. Um, and I don't think necessarily because it because it was the, the Hawks that they fell to. I think it's just another loss um, and I think it's probably, yeah, it's mentally, again, it's they're going to struggle to come back from that. Um, but I think, um, unfortunately, 
um, maybe the swans have lost their way a little bit and um, maybe we are seeing, probably contradicting myself from what I said before, maybe we are seeing that these expansion sides really are at a loss compared to some of those more experienced sides. So um, I think it's really I think it's really exciting um, for the Hawks and I'm excited. They've got some exciting players and they've got that you could start to see personally for me it was one of those games where you could start to see what they were trying to do, whereas the last four games I possibly haven't been able to see the structure. But I think for this one you can start to see it forming. So I think it's really exciting for the Hawks, yeah. Absolutely. It is an just, I suppose, shining light for Sydney. Brooke Lachlan, she was on fire in that first quarter and people started talking about the record, the seven goals. They were like, is she on? It looks like she's on here, but... Obviously, a great return for her. And just Jazz Fleming got the rising star nom this round. Was absolutely phenomenal. 16 disposals, 10 tackles, just gargantuan. And as I've said it before, she's only 17. So blows my tiny mind that this is the kind of performance that she's putting up in, you know, the infancy of her AFLW career. So we absolutely loved to see it. One of the other really close games and, this was huge. I remember being glued to my TV for particularly that last or the last couple of minutes of this game. The Tigers win over Brisbane. It was enormous. Brisbane, we've said it a lot on this pod, they looked unstoppable, unflappable, like no one was going to touch them, especially the way they were scoring in those opening few rounds. But they've shown, or the Tigers have now shown that not only are Brisbane fallible, but the Tigers, they're, they're not bad. Ryan Ferguson described it as the biggest win in Richmond's history and a breakthrough from them uh, for them. And I thought that was a really interesting choice of words without going like to language analysis on it. But do you think this is the breakthrough for Richmond? And what does it mean, I suppose, for Brisbane? Is it just a little hump considering the season is so short? It shocked me, to be honest. This result floored me. And anyone that listens to the podcast or reads anything on ESPN knows that I have been absolutely mad on Brisbane being in the grand final, probably the premiership winners um, since day dot. But I am really excited about this um, result. I think obviously um, Mon Conti, like you've just got players that are just consistent they deserve this win they've particularly someone like Mon Conti like week in week out they just completely deliver and something to note and maybe this is where they were going with um that comment about being uh, this being their breakthrough is that they were without Katie Brennan again without Sarah Hosking like they they were missing some key players and they still managed to do it so maybe this is the breakthrough and we're starting to see that depth in the Tigers because last year we saw them slowly slowly they won their first game ever last year and it was a huge deal and we're starting to see that depth grow um, and they were relatively uh, not not unaffected, but they were less affected by the expansion sides and being raided by other teams um, in the off season. And maybe this is the result: is that they've they've actually had that chance to bind together as a group and and really learn each other's ins and outs. So maybe it is their breakthrough. I'm I'm pretty excited about it to be honest. It was awesome to see like I said again the 
just the joy on the siren was so wonderful to see. And like you said, there were just so many players who stood up, who really showed what they could do. Maddie Shevlin was excellent. Ellie McKenzie, awesome. Ayla Sheeran as well. Just there were so many contributors for the Tigers. For Brisbane, I'm not too worried about Brisbane. I don't know if you are. I really do think it. it's 10 rounds. You're bound to stuff up at some point. And it was literally only four points. So it's not like... I don't think they'll be panicking. Panicking. I don't think Greg Stasevich will be panicking. I really do think it'll be we reset, we go again, we've got another five games. So we'll see how those two teams go as we continue through the season. The very last close game we had was the Western Derby. It was the closest ever Western Derby, but it was Frio winning again, this time by, you know, said three points, by three points. Frio's first win of the season, so adds to the two points that they got from that draw. Is this their kind of turning point, I suppose? Does their season start to come good from this point onwards? I think it might be a bit too soon to say it's their turning point, but it's an exciting prospect to see them win a game. Um, I also think that it's, and I know as I've spoken about before, you cannot rely on just a couple of players for your success. And so I think, again, this is going to be a really good morale boost for them because um, unfortunately they have lost probably three three or four of their key players. And um, to have a start like they have after historical success, it's pretty, it's pretty hard for them. So I'm more excited about how this is going to affect them sort of morale-wise rather than um, the way they play because I, I actually don't think that I think that their midfield um, has obviously taken a big hit, um, but the rest of their oh, and their forward line partly, but the rest of their squad has stayed pretty strong and their key players are in the midfield and the forward line. So I think that um, I think it's a good opportunity for them to show their depth because they have historically had a lot of depth in their side. And I think maybe it's just them getting used to and and recalibrating without those key players and learning to play in different areas and and how to shuffle around. And so maybe this is their opportunity, but um, I I don't think that um, it's the end of Frio by any means, but I think um, it might be a really nice opportunity for them to sort of, yeah, recalibrate, realise that they can do it without some of those key players and get their confidence back. I do agree with that. And like I said, it was the closest ever derby. We we talk about blowouts. This game has quite often been a blowout so this was the closest ever one the closest since 2020 where the margin was only nine points and I think there were some really like positive signs for West Coast because it was their highest ever score in a derby um, which I thought was really impressive because sometimes goals have been hard to come by for the Eagles but they also kept Frio to their second lowest ever score in a derby so We talk about the competitive balance of these two teams. It has been very heavily in Frio's favour for literally the entirety of the competition. But this was the first or the best sign, I suppose, that, no, there's there's two teams in WA and they can compete with with each other. So I think it was really important from the rivalry perspective as well. Obviously, West Coast will be like, 
I would prefer a win rather than adding to the rivalry, Marissa, but I do think there's some really positive signs there. I also wanted to say, like, West Coast. I don't know how you feel about them. I feel like they're a very good example, basically from, like, position six on the ladder to position 15. I have no idea how to read these teams because it's such a short season. Their form lines haven't gone, you know, in one extreme direction or the other. So I have no idea how to read them. So all of these teams that are either like three and two or two and three or the teams that have some draws in their stat line as well, I have no idea how to read them at this halfway point of the season. Are you feeling a similar kind of way? Oh, and I feel like it's such a cop-out to say that, but I actually have no idea. And after the results, particularly this past round, after these results, it is really hard to tell because it's difficult to see if, if like, someone like West Coast is maybe starting to find their feet, but you can't, you absolutely just cannot, um, you can't pinpoint when it's going to break through. And also we know with AFLW, injuries are just rife. And so it only takes a couple of your best players to get injured and then um, it's only a 10-round season. So, so how can you really predict that? But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so difficult to tell. And even seeing, um, as we talked about, seeing teams like the Hawks and the Tigers get wins, um, that's it sort of proves that, well, maybe it can be flipped on its head, you know, and maybe they will go on to win the rest of their games and, and it'll be nothing like what we predicted early on. But, um, I mean, probably unlikely, but um, it's still... It, you're right. Like it's really difficult to tell, and and as we know, the women's game is so determined by some of these massive injuries that happen, or or as we've seen um, today, which I'm sure we'll get onto um, when people get banned from a few games or or, or whatever. Um, it makes a huge impact on the team because it's it's only a ten round season. So um, you're right. It's it's pretty hard to predict. We will get to predictions quickly, but you've set it up perfectly to talk about a couple of players that have been banned. The big one here is obviously the Georgie Prasparkas ban. Straight away has been offered two matches. As we're recording right now, she has said that she will challenge it. Do you think she has a leg to stand on with this challenge? It pains me to say it, but I think she probably deserves the two weeks. Um from what I could see, she pinned McKinnon's arms and sort of slammed her into the ground. Um, and I think, and yeah, she was motionless for a fair bit. McKinnon was. So I think probably um, as much as we know that it's a huge, excuse the pun, it's a huge hit when when you are out for two weeks um, particularly when it's only a 10-week season, we do need to, again, sort of like what I was talking about before with the analysis of the game, if we want to set it up um, to be exactly as the men's game, um, you know, as as big as the men's game is, we, we need to uphold those standards. And I think probably, unfortunately, Georgie um, does deserve two weeks um careful with what I'm saying though because I know once we get off this recording we'll have the results and I might be eating my words but I do think it was a pretty it was a pretty hard hit and um yeah what do you think I I, yeah I can't see it being overturned or downgraded especially when they've come off 
the bat with the two-week suspension. So um, I was saying to you pre-record that obviously if it is upheld, it's going to be a huge blow for Geelong because she's been absolutely flying for them and they're one of those teams where when they look good, they look really good, but they also seem to be capable of putting in a not-so-great performance. So it's very hard to tell where they're at, but Georgie's absolutely been a huge part of what makes them sensational when they are on. But I said as well, she's been so good individually that it, you know, I don't think it's insane to kind of talk about her in terms of best and fairest contention. So obviously if this is held up, that rules her out of that, um, which is a huge blow because she really has been sensational. So like you said, we will wait and see. We're not saying anything too definitive because once you all hear this, we'll probably know more than we know right now. But let's kind of wrap things up. Round six. Cannot believe we're at round six. Are you liking the look of any fixtures from round six? Yes. I think uh, Doggies Geelong will be a good one. Uh, we're in, I was about to say Brunswick. Oh, my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> we're in Ballarat. We're not in Brunswick. <laughs> Don't go to Icon Park. <laughs> um, yeah, we're in Ballarat. I think that's going to be a really exciting game. Two really good teams and um, two teams that that have already seen some success. So um, I think that's going to be really exciting to see that game. Um, I also think that uh, the Tigers and the Suns will be interesting because um, I, after getting their first win, um, I think the Tigers will be really, really keen to to keep that momentum up. Um, but I, I'm not sure how they'll match up against the Suns. Um, we know that the Tigers have certainly improved in the last few years, um, but I think this might be a bit of a barometer for them because um, again, we're not we're not sure sort of where they stand against other sides. But having said that, I mean they just pulled something out of a hat last week, so I think it'll be really exciting to see what happens there because it might actually tell us sort of where they really are at. I do absolutely agree, but I can't go past the first showdown. I know Adelaide is going to be absolutely buzzing. The girls will be at Adelaide Oval. It's one of the best, if I, I reckon there's maybe an argument for it to be one of, if not the best rivalry in Australian rules football. So it's going to be awesome that we add a women's chapter to that story because I was talking about Frio's turning point. I'm going to be watching them and seeing how they come up against Melbourne as well. So lots to like from round six. And very quickly, because it is the halfway point, we went and had a look back at our predictions from the start of the season. So we're both, we both tipped Brisbane to be the premiers, and I think we're still relatively comfortable with that prediction. But I wanted to ask, we've, we've both put some interesting ones now with the benefit of hindsight. Um, so how are you feeling about runner-up Port Adelaide? Oh, mate. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you for that. Uh, not feeling great. <laughs> I, I said to you at the time I thought it was a spicy take and it has only gotten <laughs> spicier. That'll um, teach me. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I tipped leading goal kicker Katie Brennan, so I don't think that's getting up <laughs> even a little bit. Um, your other big call was Collingwood not playing finals. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I'm starting to regret making these big calls. <laughs> I actually, I actually don't like. I'm not. Oh, I actually don't even know what to say about these. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, probably not my best. <laughs> it's. It's the beauty of hindsight. Like I was saying to you, I was very proud of my call that Freo were the biggest slider, but that wasn't based on the fact that they had a really big injury list. I just predicted that they would be the biggest sliders. So <laughs> it's like I got the right answer, but the working out was completely wrong. But it is what it is. Obviously, we will keep looking at these predictions and I can only imagine we will look a little bit sillier as we draw closer to the end of the season. But that's us done for today. Remember, all of Sarah's work is over on ESPN.com.au, so definitely go check it out. Make sure to get your tips in. I forgot to do some this round, which was very embarrassing for me, but we can't wait to chat to you all about round six next week, so see you then. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.